Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the New York 20. I'm John. And I'm Tom. And we just got back from uh, having a nice steak dinner, which uh, took the edge off a horrific yeah. Jets loss. That was that was as bad as they come. <laughs> uh, I feel better about it now than I did. Was really good. Yeah. So that was nice. Um, yeah. Had a beer. That was good too. That was good. It yeah. definitely lightened it up a little bit because th- the game went about as poorly as it could have gone, and obviously that's where we're going to start. We'll get into some other stuff in a bit, but we're going to just go with the Jet debacle. Yeah, I think steak and drinking are typically a Jet fan's response to what happens <laughs> when the Jets play football. Absolutely. Um, and the, the big I mean, the big story, obviously, is Geno Smith. Geno Smith turned the ball over four times. Every single one of those turned into a touchdown going the other way. <sighs> the Tennessee Titans either end up with a short field... Or not, not even have points to directly just, just falling right. on the ball in the end zone. Apparently, is enough to score a touchdown nowadays. Uh, ugly, 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 ugly. I mean, w- what can you say about it? Probably his worst game overall. I know the turnovers have been a problem for him going back to week one, but you know, with some positives, you can deal with the turnovers because yeah. you know the turnovers are going to happen. And you know what? Even in this instance, as bad as it is, I can kind of deal with it because you know what you what you're what you're buying into. When you have a rookie quarterback out there, it's part of the process. That's that's what happens with rookie quarterbacks. He he did show a couple of flashes. He threw some completions uh, late, you know, down towards the end of the game. He scored a touchdown, he let him on driving. He, he hit a couple of balls downfield. He had another couple twenty-five yard, thirty yard receptions down the field uh, and taking shots. But part of it's the offensive line again. So many penalties put him in difficult situations to come back. The running game was there a little bit, and I think they went away from that early because they got down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think if they had been able to establish a run, that might have taken some heat off of them. But to start the game, you know, you're not even out of your car yet, and you know they've already turned the ball over inside the twenty. That's that's a tough <laughs> right. Win. Quite literally, you yeah. weren't out of your car. Yeah, Tom was, was coming here to meet <laughs> me to watch the game, and uh, he rang the bell, and I was yelling things that I don't want to say on the podcast as heard. he was ringing the as bell. As I rang the bell, I heard something. <laughs> I was like, that can't be good. No, it wasn't good. And uh, you know, for those of you who didn't watch, Geno Smith throws a pick on, on a bad throw. Uh, you know, it was either underthrown or poorly timed, whichever totally, way you want to look really, at it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, not good on the second play of the game after they pick up four or five yards on a, you know, a little draw play on the, you know, the first yeah. play from scrimmage. So, and that, that really set the tone for the whole game. And, but you alluded to it that he didn't get a lot of protection. And I think that that's something that they really need to look at, yeah. you know, going forward. Cause this was the first game where he really did get beat up. And like you said, they couldn't do anything as far as the running game goes because they got down early, yeah. so they kind of had to abandon the run. But, you know, Vlad Dukas had another bad game, and... Uh, more penalties. More penalties. You know, more you know, penalties on both sides of the ball, but, you know, you can't have Vlad Dukas making the penalties because I, I think most people who listen know how we collectively feel yeah. about Vlad Dukas. set up, you know. Yeah. I mean, if he's the upgrade from Wayne Hunter... And yeah, sign yeah. me up for Wayne Hunter. Here we are. Still, <laughs> you know, still terrible. Um, I think that's a big part of it. The defense was put in some tough spots. Uh, you know, I think they stopped, bottled up Chris Johnson really well. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jake Locker had himself a really good game up until the injury. Um, big play where uh, Wilkerson got him, got him hit hard. Uh, and he kind of awkwardly landed a little bit with his offensive lineman. And yeah. they got like a secondary hit uh, from another lineman on the Jets. 
and uh, it looked like he twisted his leg in the dirt. He got like a spike caught or something like that. Mm-hmm. But up until that point, Locker was really picking apart the Jets' secondary and Absolutely. sort of exposing them with some quick passes. Did, and, did he have any incompletions, like, at yeah. all? I know I'm sure he did, but it seemed as if he did not Every at third all. down they converted, they, they were turning everything into a touchdown. It was it was impressive to see the way he was playing. Yeah. And you compare it to what, just what he was last year when they played in that, that ugly, ugly Monday night game. The team looked bad, you know, with him out yeah. there, and, and you know he showed a lot of progress. He moved his feet a little bit. I got outside mm-hmm. the pocket and picked up some first downs. Jets were, you know, not in the game really for the most part because of the turnovers. But I don't know. Even minus the turnovers, I don't know how much better they would have done against Locker. I think the Titans were a really better team today. I could agree with that. And you know, a lot of people saying, you know, well, Locker's a good, not great quarterback. But you know what? He did it all one-dimensionally. Like you said, they bottled up Chris Johnson. I don't know what the final total was on yards, but he was a non-factor for them today. They really did stuff the run. And and Locker, until he went out with the injury, he put it all on his shoulders, and he made a lot of plays. He made a lot of big plays in big spots. You know, and the receivers, you know, helped him out. A couple guys with some great catches and stuff like that. But that's that's what you need to win. And, 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 you know... Obviously, when a guy is lighting up your team and he goes out with an injury, you kind of have that moment of like, okay, you know, maybe we can get back in this. But you don't want to see. It looks pretty serious. He was carted off and uh, haven't heard anything since. The game's only been over for a few hours. But, um, you know, obviously, hopefully it's, it's nothing too serious. But, yeah, I mean, the defense did, by and large, play pretty well. And you can't really get mad at them for dealing with these short fields all day. And, uh, you know, the 38 points allowed looks bad, but, you know, one defensive score and a lot of short fields, I think the defense can yeah. can come away from this one feeling pretty positive again. You know, I think they, obviously you have 38 points, a lot of it's not their fault, but the secondary was the issue today. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's something that needs, that deserves some talk about. There's been a lot of praise heaped on the defensive line for shutting down the run consistently and kind of making the defensive backs look a little bit better than they actually probably are. Yeah. Uh, they play without Milner this week. Darren Walls got the start on the outside and, you know, really didn't play well. I like Walls. You know, he's, he had a couple of good weeks leading up to this, but uh, a bad, bad play in the jump ball for the touchdown. Oh, he uh, looked terrible on that. Completely got boxed out and had no play on the ball, and you knew it was coming. You know, that's what's more frustrating about it is the end of the half. They had to get the snap right. off. They had to make the play, um, and he just got out jumped for, a you know, basically yeah. a rebound, and, you know... You knock that away, you grab the ball or something, they might not even have enough time to get the field right. ball off. Yeah, you know? in, in that spot, you'd almost take anything else. Like, you'd yeah. rather have him, you know what, just pull the guy down by his jersey yeah. and get a pass interference penalty. It's not going to give him the touchdown. Especially, yeah. you said, timing-wise. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, it can't end on a defensive penalty. They have to run another play, whatever it is, but you'd rather come away with the three than yeah. with the seven it in that spot. It forces them to take the kick. That's a good call, yeah. Anything else mm-hmm. than just... And, and again, for those of you who didn't watch the game, it's not advocating a penalty, you know, that, that's going to give them another opportunity it's the way that he went after the ball I mean it's like everybody in the building knew that that jump ball was coming if they were running another play Mm -hmm. and you got to do whatever you can to prevent that and Ryan alluded to it in his press conference he said you know that that kid's got two catches they only they're both for touchdowns they both come in the last two weeks and um they only bring them out on the field when they're going to do a jump ball situation and there's a reason for it 
You know, he's a big guy, he's a big target, obviously he's got some good hands, and he's come down with two in the past two weeks, and, you know, as a defense, as a defensive player, you got to know about that. And That's his skill. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that, that was a, a mistake, but, look, that didn't lose them the game. The, the turnovers did, the lack mm-hmm. of protection did. And uh, I think Ryan said in his post game. The whole team lost that game. They were outplayed offense, defense, special teams. You're never going to win when that happens. Absolutely. More really bad penalties on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, they got to clean it up. They absolutely have to clean it up. Um, number 15 yeah. <laughs> on the Jets. Obama, Mondamon, move. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for his illegal shifts that turn off uh, you I, know, any kind of game. I think that he had three illegal shift penalties. He had at least two yeah. And then he had another one, which was either a false start or a hold or something. And, and, I mean, listen, you're talking about a guy who is barely keeping himself off the practice squad, probably. Yeah. You know, last line of defense as far as receivers go. Mm-hmm. And you can't have three penalties like that. One negated a big run by Geno Smith. And you know what? When we first saw the flag go down, I thought maybe it was a hold. And at least then you say, all right, listen. If you're holding the guy, and that's what springs the run, exactly, you could take it. But if you're negating the run before it even happens because you were part of an illegal shift, you can't have that. But, you know, he's on the field because uh, Stephen Hill got hurt. Borderline, maybe dirty hit. He was hit a little high on that that interception. And uh, uh, Holmes pulled up lane with a hamstring, apparently. Yeah. Uh, They said it's not as bad as it looked, necessarily. It's not his foot, obviously, which is a positive sign. It's not another thing with the, the surgery. But... Uh, he's out, so you know we don't know where that's leading us. And to Clyde Gates, <laughs> the, lack, uh, the lack of weapons on the outside is is so apparent, and now you have these guys getting hurt. It's tough, you know, it's tough to it overcome, is. especially again with a rookie quarterback. Where's Braylon Edwards? Could they sign him again? Yeah, I guess they will, right? If that's <sighs> if he's out again. What what I don't understand is, and I know this is kind of going back, you know, into ancient history at this point, but, like, you know, I know he was banged up and he didn't play a lot in the preseason and they decided to go with some other guys, but, like, at this point, and I, I, I know I say this, you know, through rose-colored glasses because I'm a fan of Braylon Edwards as a football player, but, like, he's got to be better than some of the guys that they're yeah, running out here. He could be worse than Obama Monomo. <laughs> <laughs> He can't be. Yeah. He absolutely cannot be. I mean, some of these guys, you say what you want about Braylon, is that he's a professional receiver. Yeah. And some of these guys, I question whether or not they are. You know, and, and you know, even Clyde Gates, when he's your fourth option, you know, that's that like, you know, bad. he's one injury away from being on the field like 80% of the time. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> that is insane to me. You can't keep running this guy out there. And I saw before... On Twitter, uh, you know, Damian Woody was like, there was there was a little, uh, I guess you'd call it like a little pass in the flat where he, uh, you know, Gates didn't burn it for the first down. And he was like, well, you know, he's like, I thought Gates was supposed to be a burner. I guess not. You know, yeah. and it's like, if he doesn't have big speed, if he's not going to show that extra burst, what does he bring into the table? Yeah. He's already had some big drops in the first couple weeks. And, you know, it, it, it's just a, it's a frustrating day. And I know we're going to harp on the negative because there's so much of it to talk about, but... The bottom line is the team played poorly, and we had to sit through it, Yeah. so we have to talk about it. I think the big picture part of this, you know, you look at the process the Jets are going through now with Smith, and this is them trying to figure out, do they have a quarterback that's going to lead them to success in the future, mm-hmm. right? This is obviously, again, this is a rebuilding year. As right. much as we get excited that we're 2-1, and one, we won some games, you know, that's, that's great. This is about developing for next season. And if they can make the playoffs and make a good run and win some games they're not supposed to win... All the better, but that's not what this season's about. It is, and the players and the team and the coach will never admit that, but yeah. it's not. Games like this are 
what happened when you have a rookie quarterback. That's that's part of it. Turning the ball over, making stupid mistakes, running out for a first down, and then carrying the ball out 10 feet away from your head to get swiped away by the whatever linebacker. That's a rookie mistake. Right. That's the kind of thing you can't do. Trying to do a behind-the-back, like, you know, Jason Kidd in his prime pass to, you know, somebody in the paint. I don't know what the hell he was doing. Yeah. He took the ball and was getting sacked and, like, tried to put it behind him and, for some reason, thought that would work. It was still going to get, a, like, a sack and a safety regardless of what he did with the ball because he was going down, which is dumb. Right. But he did it and, it, you know, again, fumble touchdown instead of... Right. Rather than a sack and a safety of, in two points, it's six points yeah, on the board right there. Yeah, and you're down at the two, you know, right. just take it because it's there. Play blew up. It happens. You know, that, that's right. part of the game. You lost right. it. All right. You know, but he's trying to do too much, and, he, you know, we saw that in the game they lost against the Patriots, and we saw it again today. The question is, is he going to learn from that? Now, the, the the way you have to sort of determine it is what is an acceptable window for him to figure this out. I think, based upon what I heard from Rex in the postgame, he's getting a little fed up with these stupid mistakes, you know? Right. You can deal with a physical error, but mental mistakes are, are, are going to be a problem. Exactly. And somebody else said it on the postgame, I don't remember who it was exactly, but, you know, they basically said that these fumbles from a quarterback are unacceptable. Yeah. You know, listen, you're a rookie quarterback, you're going to throw your picks. You know, it's the same thing as we were talking about a few minutes ago about, uh, you know, getting holding penalties, trying to spring a guy. Those sure. things are going to happen, but the illegal shift penalties can't happen. And it's like, you know what, you're a quarterback, you're going to miss the guy that you didn't know dropped into coverage. You didn't mm-hmm. see him. You know, but you're not going to, there, there's no way to atone for or to explain, rather, um, just trying to flip the ball behind your back to maybe try to do something to avoid the sack at the one. Like, there was no way to avoid that sack. Yeah. The, the, the the offensive line completely blew it, and he had a guy bearing down on him almost instantly. He tried to back away, found himself on his own end, and that's it. You go down. The way, the way you avoid the sack is you run out of the pocket. You right. scramble. You don't backpedal to the end zone, which mm-hmm. he did twice. You know, he barely got away with the safety earlier. That's a good point. Too. He was backpedaling. That's a good point. you got to be able to run out of the pocket. You recognize the pressure where it's coming from, and you get away. Right. That's the thing that made Roethlisberger so great, is that he always felt the pressure and then just shifted away from it or ran away from it. He's got the physical skills to run. He's got to be able to do that. So those are the mistakes that have to be cleaned up. When you talk about, you know, the progression of Geno Smith and what the Jets are trying to get out of this season, that's what you're looking for. And so far, you haven't seen it yet. You see flashes. You see little, you know, little enticing things of him zipping a ball in there. Uh, The touchdown pass to Cumberland was beautiful. Right in stride between the two defenders and hit him to the point where Cumberland was able to run around everybody untouched for a touchdown, 37 yards. Like, that's that's perfect. That's great. But you don't have enough of that to, to make up for all these turnovers. And look, he's a rookie. It's week four. The Jets are 2-2. Two and two. It's a good place to be. Yeah. It's better than where I thought they would be. I thought yeah. they were going to win two, three games the whole season. Mm-hmm. So clearly they're well on their way to doing that, which, you know, is, is, is a lot better than anybody could have expected. Yeah. You know, and um, like you were talking about a few minutes before we went live, um, you know, Peyton Manning in his rookie year, yeah. Set the record for interceptions. And, yeah. you know, Andrew Luck came damn close, if not breaking it yeah. last year, in a year that the team went to the playoffs, for crying yeah. out loud. So these things are going to happen. You have to grin and bear it if you think that it's going to be worth it. My question to you is, and, and it might be a little bit premature as we, you know, we do this in sports, we look at things and we want to pick apart everything, but do you think, big picture, that it's going to be worth it with Geno Smith? Like, have you seen enough? 
flashes wise, just personal perspective, to think that he can he can be a quarterback at this level, a successful quarterback. I mean, I think he has some of the physical gifts you look for. I think he has that mentality you want from a quarterback. He's a very you know, I think one of Mark Sanchez's biggest downfalls is he's a very soft mental individual, and I don't think Smith has that. I think he's he's very tough-minded and, and right. kind of, you know, maybe bordering on arrogant based on what some of his college teammates said, but to the positive, you know, quarterbacks have to be like that. Quarterbacks need that, you know, put it away, all right, I made a mistake, let's move forward. you got to have swag. You have to. And he does. You know, I think he really does have that. And the other things, I think they come and... The thing you have to figure out is if he's got that gift of, you know, being able to mentally progress, you know, being able to move right. to the next level and understand how to read the defense. I, that, that you don't know. I think he can. I, you know, I don't, there's nothing I can say unequivocally that would say he can't do it. Right. You know, I don't think there's anything that's ruled that out. So that's a positive, right? You haven't looked and said, oh, he obviously can't make that throw down the left sideline. Exactly. He, he can do everything you, that you would expect of him at this point. So it's still on the table, but we have to see. I would agree with you 100%. I think that, obviously, the physical gifts are there, but in the NFL, the physical gifts are there yeah. nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you take a flyer on a guy like Tebow or even, you know, a guy like Pennington, let's say, who was a very intelligent player but didn't have the biggest arm in the world. Yeah. You know, um, but there there is something to be said about that, that swagger that he plays with where, you know, it's very much like a closer in baseball. He has a short memory. Mm-hmm. He'll go out there and he'll throw a pick that was a bad pick, but he's like, you know what? I'm not afraid to throw the ball again next possession. Mm-hmm. And the team has shown confidence in putting the ball in his hands and letting him throw it again the following possession. And and I think that that's important because I think what we saw with Mark Sanchez, and obviously some of the staff is the same and some of it is different, but they coddled Mark Sanchez a lot mm-hmm. through the early part of his development. And a lot of that was because the team was expected to be better and was better. Mm-hmm. So all he needed to do was not screw it up. Yep. So in this case, Gino's in a bit more of a fortunate um, position because it's like, you know, he's the second child of some of these people where they've already learned from their mistakes with Sanchez. Plus, the team's not expected to do anything. So yeah. anything he does positive is cake. Because yeah. we're talking about it now, two and two, like it's the greatest thing in the world, even off of how bad a loss today was and how poorly he played. Yeah. It's like he needs the reps. He needs to be out there. He needs to be doing this, and he needs to learn from the mistakes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and the only way it's going to happen is if he's doing it. You know, you don't want to teach a guy with the skill set that he has to become a game manager because where are you going with that? Right. You that's, know, that's not how you're going to win a Super Bowl. That's, no, that's, that's most nine times out of yeah. ten, unless you have a dominant defense, which the NFL is making almost impossible for you know for yeah. it to even exist anymore. Uh, the 15 yard penalty the Jets had to get called against them today. Somebody fell on Jake Locker early on in the game. Oh, was it Ballore or yeah. McIntyre? I forget I which McIntyre. one it was. Yeah, McIntyre. You know, he was tackled. He was going down. McIntyre, you know, fell on him. He didn't do any kind of dirty hit or no. injure Locker in any kind of way. 15 yards, he just yeah. fell on it. Like that's- and McIntyre was already in pursuit. Yeah, McIntyre was the first guy yeah. to get break free, but the second guy to get to him. Yeah. And, you know, whoever made the first hit kind of, like, wrapped him up by his legs. And you know what? Listen, you got to play to the whistle, one. Yeah. And two, Locker is a, a shifty guy. Yeah. He's fast. And he showed some, you know, breakaway, you know, escapability. A couple times already, yeah. A couple times in this game, not only in his career, but in this game. So you see him, you know, you see a guy, like, struggling around his feet. You're going to go in there and try to finish the play. And, you know, they said it on the broadcast. Could he have pulled up 
Probably. Yeah. But did he do anything that was malicious or go in there and drop the elbow on him like yeah. Macho Man or anything yeah. like that? Like, no. He just kind of, you know, he yeah. just made sure. Like, Locker was falling down. He kind of fell down on top of him. So yeah. I thought that penalty was a little ridiculous when we were watching it. But, listen, it is what it is. As we're watching the uh, the Sunday night game, the, uh, the Patriots and the Falcons... It's tied right now, 10-all. They just started the third quarter. Let's go fantasy football. Yeah. <laughs> Tony Gonzalez and Julian Edelman. You're rooting for Julian Edelman? You're really doing that? Well, a, a little bit, yeah. Because, I mean, Tom Brady's going to complete passes to somebody, so it might as well be the guy on my team. That's fair enough. Um, I, I Yeah, I guess I can... I, I did have... Um, I did have Stephen Ridley on my, uh, my fantasy team last year for a little while, so... Yeah. I understand. I mean, I don't feel good about it, but... It know. makes strange bedfellows, but I yeah. guess in a year where the Jets aren't expected to do much, plus... Yeah, I mean, you know. I'm, I'm rooting for the Saints this year, so, you know, we got a Monday night game coming up that's big. <laughs> uh, which is good, actually, because they're playing the Dolphins, so yeah. maybe they can knock them off their high horse a little good. bit. That'll be good. But uh, we got the Falcons driving. They're uh, just kind of cracked into Patriots territory now. We'll try to update you as we go along, but... The other big story of today was, of course, the 0-4 yeah. New York football giants. They're two games behind the Jets now in the imaginary New York-like standards <laughs> that matter so much. That everybody cares, oh my god, the Jets are good and the Giants are bad, or the Giants are good. And it's irrelevant, okay? Guys, it is so irrelevant. It doesn't matter. You're a Giant fan. It doesn't matter what the Jets are doing. No. Root for your, right, so anyway. It, it, is, it is less relevant than Yankees-Mets because yeah. they n- almost never play them, like play yeah. each other At in least games the Mets that matter. Yankees play each other once a year. Where yeah. the games actually count towards the standings. Yeah. Every once in a while they get together. Other than that, it's bragging rights or some kind of other stupid thing that yeah. is completely nonsense. But uh, the Giants look bad, honestly. Yeah. I know we're, we're you know joking around a little bit about it, but the Giants don't look good. They don't look like the same team, mm-hmm. and I think that part of it is what has been their strength uh, all these years where they've gone on runs and been successful in the regular season, O-line, D-line, yeah. and it's not there. It's, and it's the oldest textbook thing in the NFL you know, ever. Trenches. You, you run the ball, you stop the run. You get pressure, you protect your quarterback. Mm-hmm. You do that with your two lines, you're going to be set up for success. Yep. And that hasn't happened with the Giants. Now, listen, I'll even like give them a little bit of a pass. It's not an easy schedule. Like, go back-to-back on the road to Carolina, to Kansas City. You start off against Dallas in Dallas. And, uh, you know, you play the Broncos, who might be the best team in football. Those are four, you know, really tough games to, yeah. to win. You Plus, the Cowboys would do, for yeah. one. The Giants have been handing it to them in their own building. Yeah. The Cowboys were going to come away with one eventually. Yep. Sorry, but go ahead. So, the Giants now have, uh, they, they only played one game at Giant State or MetLife Stadium, right, at this point. Whatever. Whatever you want to sure. call it. Meadowlands. So, they should have some home games coming up. Again, yep. that division is not great. So, no. they, they, I don't think they're done. Now, 0-4 is, is bad. Very, very bad. Yeah. And they got to win now, but... It's not impossible. It's really not impossible it's not. to I mean, get you, to 8-8, eight 9-7 eight, and, and put yourself in the conversation. You look at it last year, uh, the Saints had that very awkward start to this season with the coach not being there and yeah. everything that happened with the bounty and all that nonsense. But, you know, they had an 0-4 start. Mm-hmm. And they put themselves back into the conversation by rattling off a win streak. And obviously, maybe it got too much and towards the end they kind of faltered. But they had the Falcons to contend with. Mm-hmm. who were, you know, pretty much the class of the NFC along with San Francisco last yeah. year. There is no team like that established in the NFC East that the Giants are going to have to deal with. Yeah. I mean, 
The Redskins don't look the same with RG3. He doesn't look right yet, and mm-hmm. maybe he'll put it all together once he feels like his legs are under him, but they barely squeaked one out against the Raiders, yeah. which is almost impossible to do, to not beat them by, like, 20 points. Yeah. And um, you had the Eagles fall to, I think, 1-3 and three after getting yeah. their doors blown off by the Broncos. So, yeah, Dallas beat the Giants head up one game already, and Dallas is playing good, but, you know, Dallas is playing good by default. Yeah. Also, let's see what Tony Romo does in December. Yeah. Like <laughs> exactly. You know, Tony Romo's the best quarterback in football from <laughs> from September yeah. to November. You know what I mean? Like, you take him first three months of the year, you take him on par with anybody. But then after that... Yeah. You find that one sucker in your fantasy league. He's like, oh my god, Romo's got great numbers. Yeah, I'll give you uh, Peyton Manning for him. <laughs> and then you go and beat them in the championship. But That's always how it happens. Listen, the Giants, we've been here before with them. We'll see what happens, but you know they gotta they gotta get back to the basics. It, and it sounds you know kind of cliched, but if you you know protect your quarterback and get some pressure, which are the two things they're supposed to be good at, right? You're gonna see more success, and I think it, it turns around or it has to turn around for them now, or you're gonna be looking at a very very bad like four and twelve type jet season. Yeah, yeah. I, you know the strange thing for me is that um, going uh, in line with everything we we're just talking about, they have no running game at all. Yeah. Which is not helping the offensive line protect uh, Manning, obviously, yeah. which is what we were talking about a few minutes ago, you know, in this last game with the Jets. And um, it's strange to me, though, you know, they obviously have this home run threat in David Wilson, and he's mm-hmm. got a lot of issues with holding onto the ball, ball security, all that nonsense. Um, but then they turn around and to, to kind of get some insurance, they go and they bring in a guy like uh, Brandon Jacobs, who. I know he's been there and I guess maybe knows the system a little bit, but I don't know how well he fits what they're trying to do because I would think that you would want to bring in a guy who's got a little bit more of, um, you know, uh, outside the tackles kind of shiftiness to him. And I know that's what David Wilson brings, but if if he's not going to be the guy to carry the the bulk of the load. Like, I don't know if Brandon Jacobs can do that anymore at this point in his career. Like, you're not throwing, you know, you're not throwing screen passes to Brandon Jacobs because you're having a hard time running the ball. You know, I I think that that's going to, that's going to cause a problem for them with, with no compliment to Eli. It's like Eli in the shotgun, drop back, pass, pass deep, you know, (laughs) the whole game. And teams are just lining up. To yeah. knock him on his ass. And with the lack of running game, it's forcing them into a lot of third and long situations where the pass protection becomes a major issue. Um, you're seeing that inability to do the quick hitter kind of passes, the slants to get the safeties cheating up to then open up a long pass. You can't, you know, get away with that when you have long situations. You know, exactly. Down and long distance. So, uh, you know, it's a big part of it. You know, there's not much else to say about it. It's just either you, you figure it out or you don't. You kind of go from there. I think Jacobs is a different skill set, and if you're looking for a guy to challenge Wilson, Jacobs is not it. Right. I, I guess that would be the, the best way to put it. I don't know if I articulated it exactly the way I wanted to, but that's exactly, exactly mm-hmm. what it is. It's like you're not you're not bringing in anybody that's like a real threat to him as yeah. like the every down guy, and they don't have that with injuries and inexperience. And then they go in and bring in uh, Brandon Jacobs, and he doesn't really offer that either. He's not going to be this huge threat to him as a starting guy. It's kind of, you know, uh, scrap heap, pick up the short yardage kind of guy. That was what he was when he was at his best. Yeah. What could you expect now? So they're in a bad way. Do I think it's over? No. Um, Do I think they have a lot of work to do? Yes. 
it's because of how badly they've looked. It's yeah. not like they've lost, you know, three yeah. games in the last second. You know, they've gotten their doors blown off the last two weeks. Yeah. So, you know, even a little bit in the Denver game, they really didn't kind of keep up the way you thought they might. You know, two high-powered offenses and, and whatnot. But, um... It definitely does speak volumes about um, the way kind of Jerry Reese put this team together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, whenever teams do poorly, you're going to start calling for heads to roll, Gilbride and Coughlin and blah, sure. blah, blah. But, you know, I think Jerry Reese does have to bear some responsibility. I'm not calling for anybody to get fired. I wouldn't anyway. But I don't think that they should at this point. But Jerry Reese, I think, deserves a lot of the blame for this, because I think it is a player personnel issue. Yeah, it's, you know, when your offensive line is not producing and the offensive line doesn't have players that, you know, you'd want to have on it, then that's pretty clear, right? Yeah. Uh, you can point the same finger at Tannenbaum, and that's what ended up costing his job with the Jets, right? Exactly. It's, it's, the, the coach can only do so much. Now, Coughlin has obviously proved himself as a coach with this team by winning two Super Bowls with them. Right. So it's hard to point fingers at him, right? What else can you do? But at the end of the day, it's the players. You know, the players have to go out and do the job. They're professionals, and you know, we just kind of have to see how they bounce back. I think the next you know couple of games coming up is obviously the whole season for them. They can't go. They have to get back to five hundred before they lose another game. Oh, absolutely. That's the way to look at it. If they get back to four and four, then you know, then we can talk. But after that, it's you know. Anything in five, two and five, three and five. That's, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's you know? tough. It's almost insurmountable yeah. at that point. You know, zero and four is as bad as you can possibly be with still a glimmer of hope. And next week they have uh, they have the Eagles. Yeah, so, so that's your opportunity in the division. That's a that's a big game for them right there. You know, and uh, the and that's Eagles at home, I believe too. It is at home. Yes, yeah. the Eagles haven't looked good. Yeah. Uh, you know, outside of the first week when they looked fantastic. Yeah, but you know what? Yeah, somehow that high-octane you know, high <laughs> offense they were talking about uh, didn't seem to work too well when their defense had to be on the field for the entire game against Peyton Manning. Yeah, probably not the best strategy to employ. Yeah. You want to kind of keep the ball Maybe out of his hands. A little bit. A little bit. I would say a little bit. Um, Brady just unloaded a huge pass to Edelman, yes, actually, did. which is good fantasy-wise for you. Yeah. Uh, down the middle of the field, looks like they're I don't deep. like him, though. Look at his face. <laughs> anyway. I can't stand him. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Like, at all. He's better than Gronkowski, like, a little bit. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, but any Patriot tight end tends to have problems. <laughs> yeah, they're deep into um, Falcons territory now with that one. They're around, like, the 15, 13-yard line. Route too. Anyway. Yeah, well... Listen, we're gonna we're gonna move and uh, switch gears off the football topic for a bit because um, you know obviously the baseball season came to an end today. Yeah. Um, and quite literally came to an end for both of us, which is different. Yeah, it's uh, weird for it's you especially. The Yankees will not be playing postseason baseball for the first time in a while. And um, how do you feel about that? Honestly, now that it's wrapped up, I know it's a, it's a, yeah. a loaded question. Obviously, you feel terrible about it. Yeah, but, but I how love, do you... no. Um, it's tough. You know, I think especially with everything that happened this year with Rivera and Pettit, you know, those are two, uh, two of my favorite players mm-hmm. growing up. Like, that's my childhood with those two guys. Of course. You know, they came up as I was just going to baseball age to watch these games. Uh, Andy Pettit was always, like, the first guy I liked because he threw lefty and he had this weird motion and he had this, like, funny look on his face with his big nose and everything. Pettit was my favorite player. I just I loved watching Andy Pettit play. I would, you know, try to emulate his pitching motion as a kid, as a righty, but do the exact yeah. same like leg kick and head over, you know, glove over the head and everything. And like to see him go out and retire, it's sad. And then to have the whole season end up being, you know, the way it was, where 
one, they got hurt. Obviously, that that was huge to mm-hmm. Sharon, Jeter, and A Rod, and Granderson, and you know everybody. Yeah, going all out. the guys we've been talking about all season, long. whatever. And you know, it's, even now, it's Sabathia getting hurt and all that. Obviously, it's a big part of it. But second is the management leaves a lot to be desired with this season. We talk again about you know putting the right players on the field. The Yankees, you know, went into this season with a scrap heap. It was it was not a major league roster out there most of the season. You know, we had games where Vernon Wells was the cleanup hitter. Yeah. Vernon Wells should be parking cars for somebody. Like, Vernon <laughs> Wells, you know, he's got a great attitude. He, you know, cracks some jokes on fans on Twitter, but he's not a major league baseball player anymore. Right. And, well, he's not a starting major league baseball player. Yeah, he's no, not he's a, just not a major league baseball player. Fair enough. That's, that's, that's you know, it's ship sales. He got a big contract. That's why he's still around. He would be retired forcibly. Had he not had that. Yeah, you're probably right about that. You're probably right. But So you put a guy like that out there. You let Russell Martin walk, who happens to be going to the playoffs with the Pirates right now. Yeah. And you say, hey, we can roll with Chris Stewart and Francisco Cervelli. And then Cervelli has his thing, which I guess you can't predict. But Russell Martin's playing in the playoffs again. You know, we're going to roll with a catcher who has, you know, an on-base percentage of 200. Yeah. It's it's tough, too, when when you have a position like catcher to completely abandon the guy who's been there. Now, Russell Martin is good, not great. Yeah. He played very well for the Yankees in the time that he was here. But without a without a solution, without an heir apparent, it's very difficult to let a guy like that go. Yeah. You know, for what amounts to be, you know, a couple bucks for the Yankees. And it was a fair contract. You know, it wasn't like it was an outrageous five year deal for an older catcher or whatever. It was a two year contract. It was it was exactly what you would give to a catcher in his situation. He was twenty eight years old. Yeah. Sign a catcher twenty eight years old to a two year contract, you're in good shape. They let him walk and, and what do they do? They signed Ichiro to a two-year contract who can't right. hit a lick. I'm sorry. Right. You know, he's, he's a great defensive outfielder, but all he is is a fourth outfielder at this point. Yeah. But he got a two-year deal worth $15 million per year. What's that about? Yeah. It, it's like the, the priorities are in the wrong spot. Yeah. The priorities are he's, he got his 4,000th hit this year and they sold a bunch of T-shirts. Right. Why is that the decision? Which is not really his 4,000th hit anyway. Well, you yeah, know, it's and a that's nice. Another <laughs> for another day, right? It's a nice milestone for him, yeah. personally. And had they touched on it, did we talk about this at all I don't uh, know. in the summer? I don't know. We it kind of just kind of we were like the only people that weren't talking about Probably it. Not, but they went to Ireland. So, that's yeah. true. That's true. But just real quickly on that, you know, had they just glossed over it and been like, oh, you know, he's coming close to his what would be his four thousand professional hit, yeah. blah, 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 and then kind of just mention it, then he gets it, and it's like a very great uh, individual yeah. achievement. They were talking about it like he was getting 4,000, like, in the like, major like leagues. catching Pete Rose. Like, on his way to, like, yeah. And that's that's an absurd way to to try to describe about it. Yeah. Because it's not that. I mean, it's not the same. Like, listen, they have a very competitive league in Japan, but by everybody's account who's around baseball, it's basically a cross between AAA and the major leagues. Yeah, it's quadruple A. It's guys who can't quite hack it, you know, in the major leagues. A bunch of Americans will go over there to play right. professionally because they get a little bit better competition and aren't, you know, minor league baseball players. You right. Know? They're major league professional baseball players. Yeah. But it's it's not. It's so, not to the point, right? So Ichiro's on your team. Vernon Wells is on your team. And then, like, you, you don't even decide to go into full rebuild mode when it's clear the season's not going the way you want. You have two huge trade assets in Hiroki Kuroda and Robinson Cano. Hiroki Kuroda was leading the American League in RA, and Robinson Cano is the most sought-after free agent in, in the offseason. Right. right? Neither one of them 
could be on this team next season, and they may end up with nothing but a draft pick or two for them. Right. Plus, they go and get Soriano and give up another prospect. Exactly. So, they go the opposite. They panic and bring in Soriano. And listen, Soriano was fun to watch. I love watching Alfonso Soriano in the field. He's he did energetic. a great job. He hit a ton of home runs for the Yankees. He had, I think, over 50 RBIs with two teams, which is one of, yeah. like, a handful of times that's ever happened. Him and A-Rod saved the season. Yeah. So, you cannot, you know. You got the more 500. That's fine. It's what, what are you trying to do? What is the big picture plan right now with the Yankees? Right. I don't think there is one. Mm-hmm. I think it could even be that they're just trying to like you know make them good enough to turn around and sell the team, right? Which does not make me as a fan feel good about it. Right. Their scouting's been nowhere. Nobody's been held accountable for that. What, where's the last Yankee offensive player to go and show up from the draft? I think it's Derek Jeter. Right. Like, <laughs> well, you know what it is too, and it's like obviously like winning builds you know great currency. Mm-hmm. You know you can keep that. You know, that, that's going to give you a lot of leash in terms of what you can do, what you can't do. But And the Yankees have a, a long history of winning in the last 20 years. Yeah. But if the Mets would have turned around and went and made a move, or not even, let's not even make it about the Mets. If Kansas City goes and makes a move as like a fringe team and brings in a guy like Soriano at the deadline, trading a valuable asset. Now, I, I understand they didn't trade like the next coming of Derek yeah. Jeter to get him back, but... You know, they traded an arm arm who was eh, good enough. Yeah. You know, and you go and you trade a a prospect. Oh, somebody just got blown up in the Patriot game. I think. That's a bad hit on his neck. Well, he's walking off under his own power, so that's fine. But that was. Brady freaked out at that, too. He went and yelled at the referee after there was no penalty call. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was was bad. I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. Uh, That was just, like, jarring to me. Um,. But, you know, to, to go up and, and give another uh, asset like that for Soriano, it's like any other team would be like, well, what are they doing? They're yeah. kind of middling. You know, either you fix it or you don't. Like, wh- what decisions are they making? Plus, and I think we talked about this once before, after you go out and get a guy like Soriano, you know, they got him ahead of the trade deadline. Yeah. Once you realize you're out of it by the trade deadline... He's another asset that you yeah. can flip to another team. I mean, we've seen that. I think David DeJesus went to two different teams yeah. this year before the deadline. So, like, those things happen. And you have to pick one and go. And, like you said, I don't know. They picked their avenue that they wanted to go down. But I don't know if that was – they ever really committed to going that way. If, yeah, so if you're going to go and compete this season, you want to do guys on veteran contracts and things like that, then sign Raul Abanez instead of Travis Hafner. And trade for Soriano in spring training when he was on the market and dangled in front of you. So you get all 30 home runs from right-hand side of the plate in your lineup. Don't right. wait until the trade deadline to do it. 100%. Sign Russell Martin instead of going to go war with no catcher. They went and they just half-assed it. They went kind of halfway on it and, and they didn't, did. didn't commit one way or the other. Yeah. They said, we're going to try it out with these veterans and then, ah, uh, we don't want to spend too much money. And, well, let's put a little money. We can't have nobody show up right. for these games. They don't know what they're doing. It's really what the signal this sends to a fan. They they kind of scrimped and saved, but in like you said, in the wrong ways. Because it's not like they went out and they were like, oh, you know what? We're going to give Josh Hamilton $100 million. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, okay, fine. Forget about that. But you can't turn around. Like, how much money did Raul Abanez make in comparison to what Travis Hafner made? Not that much. Like, especially for the so Yankees, again. It, exactly. And, like, we were just talking about how friendly, uh, team-friendly the deal was for Russell Martin. It's fair based on what he's done the last couple of years. And you can't—and and Soriano. 
Yeah. You know, Soriano was there to be had. Soriano was there to be had last year. Yeah. The year before. The Cubs have been trying to get out of that deal forever. Yeah. So I- I'm pretty sure they could have made that move in spring training. Like, the exact same move. Yeah. So it's it's tough to see an organization. And again, winning buys you so much time. You're allowed to have a stinker, just like the Giants had one, the, the, the baseball Giants. Yeah. You know, had a terrible year this year, but they won two out of the last three World Series. Yeah. So you, you, you can kind of say, okay, well, whatever. The pitching didn't show up. They had some injuries. But when you look at what they did versus what they didn't do, it's just so confusing Middle of the pack, non-committal. You know, you can look at clear reasons why the Giants weren't successful this year. Mm-hmm. And with the Yankees, you look at the things that they did, and you say, okay, this is why they fell short. But things would have been, could have been slightly different had they just gone into the game plan like, okay, full steam ahead. We know we're getting older, but we're going to embrace the fact that we're getting older. We're going to bring back the veterans that we know can succeed here like Abanez, like yeah. Martin, and we're going to tough it out. And then we'll worry about this magical number of 189 next year yeah. when it becomes super important. Yeah. It's almost like they tried to shed some of those contracts preemptively. But like you said, then they get into bed with Ichiro for two years. Yeah, it's, it's nonsensical. It's really like you know the tail wagging the dog as far as advertising and, and things like that and not actually trying to put a product on the field. If you put a team on the field that's going to win, you'll have fans show up. You'll, have, you'll, you'll make your money. Which is really what this is all about for the owners. They want to make money. Right. Put a good team on the field, you'll make money. And you're not broke in the first place. The Mets had the excuse of the Madoff thing. They couldn't spend money. Right. Basically, they just did not have it. They that's why money. Reyes isn't here. Yeah. That's, that's the reason why. Understood, right? I get that. That's, that's logical. That's reasonable. The Yankees have the money to spend. They're deciding they don't want to. This is a big middle finger to the fans saying, you know what? Yeah, well, we don't want to win this year. Maybe probably next year either. And then in 2015, we'll think about it. Right, so you're gonna punt two seasons away to get under an arbitrary number, so you don't have to pay quite as much in the luxury tax. You're making billions of dollars yeah. on this team. Yeah, and you're still gonna have bucks to, into it. You're still gonna have to pay the luxury tax. Yeah, that's the thing. So it's like, yes, it resets. Is it fiscally responsible? Yes, it is. Now, had the age of these players that that are leaving the the, the Marianos and the Pettits of the world, and even Jeter as he gets older, had that coincided directly with the 189 year? Like, had this year been the 189? Yeah. I could see why they would scrimp and save, then they'd get the injuries, they probably wouldn't have made some of the trades that they did, like Soriano and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But then you'd say, you know what, they're going to have this one like stinker year that was kind of trending that way already, yeah. and we can live with it. But now it remains to be seen whether or not you know, they're, they're almost admitting that they, they want to punt a year yeah. next year uh, because they're not going to be able to fill the holes and replace the players that they're going to be missing and get under this 189. So they're almost admitting something that teams almost never do, which is we're not going to be competitive next year. Yeah. You know, even the Mets this year were like, hey, we're going to try to be competitive. No, everybody knew they weren't going to be, but they said that they were going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, Rex Ryan in his post game before was like, well, we plan on, you know, winning all the games that we can. And, you know, we're not trying to punt the year yeah. so that we can get a rookie quarterback to learn the ropes. You don't punt football games in the NFL. And it's like, no, you don't. But the Yankees are almost saying that. Yeah. Because if they, if there's no way to replace the production and replace the players that they're going to be missing out on from this year to next year without spending money. And there are guys that they can go get or guys that they can keep in Cano that will fix some of the problems. They can bring back Cano. They can sign Brian McCann. 
They could do these things. Yeah. And then make a trade or sign somebody else as a bat. Sign Chu. Sign somebody. Do something right. that says you're interested next season. Exactly. Ellsbury and, would be a good fit for yeah. them. I am petrified. They're not going to do anything. They're yeah. just going to go and not spend money and say, oh, well, Leo Jeter and Teixeira will be back, so we'll be fine. Guys, don't worry about it. Like, that's that's what the shot... It, 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 all it comes off of, it comes off as, is a half-baked plan. They didn't actually think through, like, hey, well, we want to get under 189, so let's just, I, I don't know, let's do something about that. Right. What do you think, guys? Let's get under that number. Nobody came up with how. Nobody's like, all right, well, listen, what we're going to do is not re-sign these three guys. We're going to bring in two veterans. We're not going to spend any more money in 2013, and then 2014 will be good. We'll be, we'll be past that threshold. These guys retire. We'll be fine. They don't have specifics as to which people they're doing. Like, ah, oh, well, all right, but we need Ichiro, and uh, we'll get some good Soriano, too, you know? Exactly. Uh, you, you're throwing, like, salt in the face of the fans. It's exactly. ridiculous. And that's the old refrain for the Met fan, you know, is always next year, always next year, always next year. But since Alderson has come in, they've always looked at... 2014 as being the year where, not that they win a World Series, not that they even, you know, make some huge run in the playoffs, but where they become competitive and relevant again. And everything that they've done from the day he got here to hopefully opening day, you know, 2014, has been 2014, 2014, 2014, the refrain has been the same. Yeah. You've seen them cut bait with guys. You knew that that was the year when certain other people were going to be off the books contract-wise, like uh, Santana and Bay. They decided to not bring back a guy like Jose Reyes because of the Madoff thing, but also because of the fact that he relies so much on his legs and he's been injury-prone as far as his legs go. They haven't signed guys that you know would have helped them in the short term. They haven't doled out these big contracts. They've gone to war with sometimes a triple-A lineup. But it was all in the face of, okay, we have a plan for 14. And, you know, I know guys get signed to extensions or other things happen. But you can look ahead. Anybody can go on, you know, MLB trade rumors and look at the projected free agents. Like, they know who's going to be around. They know what holes they can expect to fill and who they think they're going to throw their money at. So when there seems to be a plan... You can buy in as a fan. And we talked about this like crazy about the Jets last year mm-hmm. where there was no plan. It was like, what are you doing? You yeah. want to bring in Tebow? Friggin' use Tebow. Where when we said if Wayne Hunter was the starting right tackle, we would just boycott the season. Yeah. <laughs> and then they got rid of him at the end of preseason. Like they, they barely, you know, held on for yeah. us by getting rid of Wayne Hunter. And, and what, what do you it's, do? Yeah. Where's the, where's the accountability for that? Right. And, All the worse is that this is happening in the year that Mariano Rivera retires and Andy Pettit retires. Right. Uh, And Jeter was lost for a whole season due to injury. So I had one of my two favorite experiences in Yankee Stadium. You know, one of them. I I can't rank them yet because they're, you know, they're so, like, fresh. But the one of them was the Raul Labania's game from last postseason where he hit the one home run to tie it in the ninth and then the walk-off home run in the 11th. Like, the craziest, most fun thing I've ever had at a, at a baseball game before was that experience. Like, a playoff game, it was, you know, a swing game in the series, Yankees, you know, it was 1-1, and, you know, Abanias hits a, pinch hits for A-Rod, which everybody in the stadium was cheering immediately. <laughs> then he walks up and hits a home run and is, like, a legend, and then hits another, like, that was cool. The only thing I think might outrank it is watching Mariano Rivera running from the bullpen for the last time. To hear the whole stadium stand up on top of their chairs, like, clapping. When he just gets up in the bullpen, it's like they start showing him on the camera on the TVs in the concourse, and you see like everybody just get up and start clapping. And then for like forty-five minutes, everybody's just chanting his name and cheering and doing everything they can do for Mariano Rivera. 
to see him come out, to see him with the emotions with Andy Pettit and, and Jeter when they came to get him out of the game, to see him come in first and second and two out and get the out to get out of the inning. Like uh, two, uh, one out, I think he came in and it got two outs in the eighth and then two more in the ninth. Mm-hmm. At forty three years old, he's like, you know, after he retires or after you know he finishes that game, he's like, yeah, by the way, my elbow is killing me. I, you know, I'm not going to pitch in this Houston series. I want to go out, you know, where I went out. My legs kind of bothering me too, just in case you were wondering. He just, right. he's, he's incredible, absolutely yeah. incredible. And I got to go and watch the greatest at his job ever, and one of the classiest individuals you ever see in your life do his last thing as, like, a member of the team. That is so awesome. And it's just a little bit marred that the game was meaningless, you know? The Yankees were losing 4 nothing and had three hits. Two of them came in the eighth inning. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it does, it does throw salt in the, the wound. Way, the way that that should end it. Just like in 08, when the Yankees didn't make the playoffs, was when the Yankee, old Yankee Stadium closed. Right. How, how do you close old Yankee Stadium, all of this history, and not make the playoffs? How does Rivera's season not end in October? You know, like, it, it just it doesn't feel right. And yeah. that's what sucks. That's what gets me the most about this Yankee season. And I could totally agree with that. It, it's it's both from a you know just an emotional standpoint as well as the X's and O's on the field that you're looking at. Like, okay, well now what do we do to replace Rivera? Yeah. What do we do to replace Pettit? What do we do if Jeter isn't healthy? What do we do if A Rod is suspended? Yeah. You know, there's all that. But then there's there is the fact that you know you you have these guys, these all time class. Yankees mm-hmm. that aren't going to be there and didn't get to go out the way that they're used to going out and fans are used to seeing them go out. Yeah, and and that is unfortunate. And coming from a Mets fan, you know, it's it's it it's true. It's sad. It's it's yeah. it's weird. You know, it, it's it's weird to see. It was weird to see Rivera pitching. You know, for the last time and the only game he's ever pitched in. It doesn't mean anything at all. Yeah, it was weird. It yeah. was very very weird. So. Listen, a lot remains to be seen, and again, we'll talk, I'm sure, like crazy, about yeah. what the Yankees and as well the Mets are going to do, uh, you know, going into the offseason. They both have a lot of work to do. But real quick on the Mets, obviously, it was not as ceremonious <laughs> a close to the season. Um, you know, some things, uh, just a, a lot of cleanup, you know, guys getting shut down, innings limits, young young guys getting a chance to play, stuff like that. But um, they'll probably announce tomorrow that uh, Terry Collins will be back. They're giving yeah. him a contract extension, extension yeah. which I think is probably the right move. I'm not a huge Terry Collins fan. I'm also not a huge Terry Collins hater. I kind of sit middle of the road for him. Yeah. I think he's done a good job with the young players preaching accountability. Mm-hmm. And I think that in a lot of empty seasons where the team hasn't been good, the team has played hard for him always, mm-hmm. including now. He didn't. He never lost the team, and I think that speaks volumes to the way that they, you know, kind of respect him and play for him. And uh, I actually read today that uh, Carlos Beltran, who obviously isn't on the Mets anymore, um, like still frequently talks to Terry Collins, like, and was was giving him a lot of like, you know, positive like reinforcement when like the Mets were kind of in the tank in the middle of the season this year, and was like reaching out to him like as a, you know just out of sheer respect for how he yeah. thinks of him as a baseball man. So you know he's coming back on what seems to be a two year deal with a third year option. Mm-hmm. Having said that, you know that's that's a short enough deal where if the Mets bring in pieces and they underachieve next year, he will be on the hot seat and probably rightfully so. But I think that he was there, he was brought in to be the overseer, he was brought in to be the transition guy, and I think he did an excellent job and probably exceeded expectations in that role, and never did anything to prove that he doesn't deserve to be there. So I think he deserves to get a shot, 
yeah. with a team that is competitive. Yeah, it reminds me of Mike D'Antoni with the Knicks. Mike D'Antoni was brought in when they were scraping the roster dry, right. getting rid of every contract they could to try and get some offensive pieces, and then you see what happens. Turns out Mike D'Antoni's probably not that good of a basketball coach. Right. You know, he, he was really good when he had a healthy Sotomayor and Steve Nash, but you took a shot with him. You gave him the opportunity, even though he had three really bad losing seasons in a row, you let him come back when they got Carmelo Anthony, when they got you know the healthy Amari Amar- Stoudemire. You let him, you know, take a run with them. And then it turned out it didn't work, and you kind of move on. You bring in somebody else who, who fits what you need at that point. Exactly. But I think it's, it's, it's deserving, right? Collins deserves a shot because he's done everything you've asked of him. You've given him nothing to work with. He's gotten as much, I think, as any coach could have gotten oh. out of that roster. <laughs> so but why not? You know, if he can get the most out of them, and that it's only a 75-win team, well, maybe if you put 80 wins of talent on there, he can turn them into 85 or 86 wins. Exactly. If you put 85 wins, he can turn it into a, a division winner. You know, that's the thing that you want to see him be able to do. Exactly, because they got 75 wins, and, I, you know, I don't know if they had 75 wins worth of talent. Yeah. I really don't know if they did, yeah. you know, collectively at points of the season. You know, obviously, Harvey goes down, Parnell goes down, then they trade Bird, they trade Buck. You know, you make moves in reaction to other things that happen, Mm -hmm. but, you know, just the whole season, looking at everything now that it's over, I don't know if they ever had a sustainable, you know, 75-win team in them. I don't know if they ever did, so to to get that out of them and to keep them fighting right down to the last game was important, and Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see what next year brings. Um... And just real quick, as far as uh, ceremony goes, today was the uh, Mike Piazza um, induction to the Mets Hall of Fame that. ceremony. It was actually very nice. They did a really good job. They have this whole like Hall of Fame committee, which is comprised of like old players that played for the Mets. That you know they kind of come out, and it's a you know big on field kind of thing. And um, it was it was really nice to see. You know Piazza and his relationship with the Mets ownership. There's been a lot of reports of like you know how good or bad. It's a little weird, isn't it? Like, it's, how the, the question I always had is, how was his number not up on the wall, retired, like, immediately? You know, like, they had all those players up there and stuff, and he's like, 31, that's that's Piazza. Yeah. And that's always going to be Piazza and the Mets. How is that not, you know... The Mets have this thing where they, they have a very strict criteria for retiring numbers, which I think is a little strange, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Um, you know, I think on the flip side, again, not to make it a Met Yankee thing, I think the Yankees are a little quick to retire numbers. Like, there's certain people... Yeah, they're going to run out of numbers. Yeah, sure. that's what I'm it's saying. Like, I get that. Yeah. But, but there's there's got to be, like, a happy middle ground. Like, yeah. the, you know, the Mets only have three numbers retired right now. Uh, one is Gil Hodges, one is Casey Stengel, and the other is Tom Seaver. So you're talking about two managers who deserve it. Right. And, you know, Tom Seaver, who obviously deserves it. But there have been some other people in the Mets' history that I think very clearly deserve their numbers to be retired. Two that come to mind immediately are Keith Hernandez and Gary Carter. Yeah. Gary Carter's in the Hall of Fame. You don't win in 86 without Gary Carter. Mm-hmm. To me, that's enough yeah. right there. Hall of Fame player, great player. Obviously, he went in as an expo. He had better years, longer years with the expos. But he had enough big years here to, I think, justify it. And the other one is is obviously Hernandez, and for a lot of the same reasons. Now, should Hernandez be in the Hall of Fame? It's borderline on that, but again, what he meant to the team, yeah. he was your captain. He was the guy, he was the first guy. Prior to going and getting Carter, you know, he was yeah. the guy they went he and got that whole, ship, changed yeah. the whole culture that became the first piece. Yeah, You know, so I think those are two guys that you could easily, plus they're beloved yeah. by the fans. 
they've always done right. Keith Hernandez still works for the Mets, you know, in the yeah. broadcast booth, obviously. So I think those are two guys that deserve it. And and I think Piazza obviously deserves it. The the one thing I will say is that I don't think that Carter and Hernandez will ever have their numbers retired by the Mets. I think that Piazza will. Have has anybody worn Carter and uh uh, Hernandez number? I, you know, it's been so long, and obviously a lot of the the original since was when I was yeah. very young. Yeah. So I'd have to go look know, and like check. Anybody recently um, or anything like that? There have been numbers? a few 17s. Okay. I cannot think off the top of my head of any 8s okay. that have been worn, you know, in in the in the recent uh, past. Yeah. Um, no one has worn 31. Right. Which is a good signal that that will be retired. Yeah. And I think that it will be. And I, apparently what their unspoken criteria for is um, Hall of Fame as a Met. I think that's really what they kind of go for in retiring numbers, which... You know what? I could get that, but the player has no say in that, and sometimes it's arbitrary. Like, Wade Boggs in the Hall of Fame is a Tampa Bay Devil Ray. Right. Does that mean he's not allowed to have his number retired by the Red Sox because that's where he, like, dominated his whole career? Like. I- I agree. It's I, a little over the top. Like, don't take yourself too seriously. You're not even that, like, well-established of a franchise. You know, I, like, I can agree on. with that. I, I think that for a franchise, like, you know, you look at the, a team like the Yankees, that's had Mantle and DiMaggio and Ruth and Gehrig and Barrett. The list goes on and on and yeah. on and on. I think, if anything, they could afford to be more strict yeah. with all the great players that they've had. Like, there's no problem with the Mets embracing, I don't want to say embracing mediocrity because that's, that's that's strong and that sends a negative <laughs> it's a negative connotation. I don't mean that they should embrace mediocrity on the field or anything crazy like that, but like you should embrace who you are. You're not the Yankees. Yeah. You don't have the history, you don't have the greatness, you don't have any of that. But what you do have is a very loyal fan base with uh, you know some great players that have come through the door. Yeah. Some players have come through that you know never panned out and that's fine too. But I think you should honor the ones that deserve to be honored. Yeah. All that said, I think Piazza will go into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And I think he will go in as a Met because he's had, uh, you know, he had a longer stretch of success, actually played more games as a Met than he did it as a Dodger yeah. when it was all said and done. So I think that that will happen. Yeah. But I agree with you. It should have happened already. Yeah. Um, they're probably holding off. I thought maybe there'd be a surprise and they would have done it today. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking, you know? Like uh, They didn't. I think they kind of just want to maybe bank on, like, having another ceremony. Yeah, <laughs> to get another thing for the fans to show up for. I mean, you know, why not? Whatever. You know what it is? When you talk about the history thing, you want to build your history, you know? Like, you have to go in and acknowledge these things. Like, if somebody looks back at the 86 Mets and they look to see the numbers retired, what are they going to think of? Like, what, you know, what, who, who's honored from that, you yeah. know? Like if you think of the Mets from 2000 that went to the World Series and that nice little run they had where they were in the playoffs every year and playing Atlanta and, they, you know, ended up getting to that World Series, there's no, you know, there's that pennant, I guess, up there that said, hey, you know, nationally champions, right. but put a number up there. This guy was the guy. He was the one that got them there. Recognize that. The guy hey, is listen. a great, like, the greatest hitting catcher of all time. <laughs> How are you not putting his number on your wall? I understand that. <laughs> I understand that completely, and I agree. I think today would have been a great day to do it. Uh, they didn't. Ridiculous. I but... I, all that stuff aside, because, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not going to 
change their minds, you know, because thousands of Mets fans have tried. Uh, yeah. Um, but so we're not going to do anything to affect that. But um, the ceremony is actually really good. Yeah. It was it was nice. It was done very well. You know, it was emotional. Piazza was there, obviously, he gave a nice speech, and it was. Uh, they did a nice little bookend moment where it was very reminiscent of when they closed down Shea. When they closed Shea, they had Seaver throw out the final pitch yeah. to Piazza. And it was kind of bridging the gap from, like, you know, the two greatest players yeah. of the of the, the franchise. And then they kind of did that whole thing where they walked from the mound out through the center field fence and closed the fence together. And it was yeah. like, this is over. And it was final, but it was like a, a nice passing of the torch moment. And um, they had Piazza today throw out his first pitch yeah. to David Wright. Which I think kind of signifies a bit more of that same passing of the torch. And again, you know, these are the, what you said, these, this is the history that we're living right now that you should be embracing. Yeah. You know, and, um, as far as that whole breaking down, you know, uh, how numbers get retired and whatnot thing goes, I think, uh. I think David Wright will probably be the guy who breaks through that threshold, yeah. having spent his whole career as a Met when it's all said and done, yeah. having been a great player for the Mets. You know, is David Wright going to make the Hall of Fame? Who the hell knows? Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a long time between now and then. Exactly. So we don't know what's going to happen as far as that goes. So let's say he doesn't. I yeah. think he's done enough already yeah. to be to have his number retired. So maybe he's the guy where they finally they do it. And then it kind of lightens them up a little bit and makes it possible for some other guys, you know, to finally get the honor. So we'll see what happens with that. But baseball season is over. Football season is a quarter of the way over or will be as of tomorrow night around this time, which is really strange. And, uh, you know, listen, we're in for for the long haul. We got the Jets. We got the Giants. They both pretty much are terrible right now. We're going to (laughs) just... Well, that's fine. You know, the the important thing is that the Giants are two games behind the Jets. That's really what everybody needs to focus on because that's what's relevant in today's sports world. Tongue firmly in cheek. Yes. When you say that. But look at the Daily News and New York Post tomorrow. You're going to read four columns about that exact topic. Yeah. And it's strange, though. It will be very strange... um, to put a nice wrap on what we've talked about in general, um, having the Mets and the Yankees not making the playoffs. Yep. And potentially having the Jets and the Giants have bad seasons right on the heels of that. Yeah. You know, obviously we've got the Knicks coming up. We've got the Nets who are reloaded and look like they're going to be pretty good. And you've got the Rangers who yeah. look like they're going to be pretty good. And with the, you know, the whole Islanders thing, you know, getting younger, the move to Brooklyn, all that stuff, you know. So there's some excitement, but obviously, you know, we've like pretty much a football, baseball place first. Yeah. And that is a weird spot to be in. And um, I heard this on the radio the other day, so I won't take credit for it, but a strange, strange situation you find yourself in where we know Collins is coming back now. Right. But the Mets had an underwhelming season. There was potential that he wouldn't be back. We know that Girardi's contract is basically up, and we know that there's a potential that he wouldn't come back. He can get an offer somewhere else. They could decide to make a change. There is no guarantee that if the Giants finish with four wins that Coughlin will be back. Right. There is no guarantee that Rex Ryan will be back. There is no guarantee that Mike Woodson will be back. This can be a very strange, interesting uh, next calendar year. For New York sports and the the landscape and the coaches and just everything. That was like the the end of a a season, you know, like a season cliffhanger thing. (laughs) 
like I, I picture the end of like season one of Game of Thrones where it starts throwing all these ideas at you, like ah, oh, dragons and White Walkers and all this stuff and things, and like oh, look out, this is gonna be terrible. You know? <laughs> That's the harbinger of defeat you just put over everything. You just like we just real quick like we show like snapshots of like all these characters and like you don't know which one's gonna die off. It's yeah. like you know, is it Coughlin? Yeah. Is it Ryan? Yeah. Is it two of them? Yeah. Is it all of them? Is it, is it, Jerry it none? Seinfeld, yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> They throw those things in there. So, uh, you know, that's kind of how that feels. Quick things I'll say. Uh, Rangers announced their roster today. Uh, the most notable thing is that Chris Kreider got sent down to the minor leagues, did not make the team out of camp. Right. Um, apparently had a bit of, you know, they gave him a shot and was a little underwhelming. Uh, the Rangers' offense was really bad in, yeah. in the preseason. Uh, extending back from last season, uh, where it was really bad. So It was very bad last that's season. kind of the thing they were trying to fix. And the most unpoetic, awful thing was they played Vancouver in Vancouver, and the Rangers and Canucks traded coaches, right. essentially, right? Yeah. Chorrell went there, and Vigneault came here, and the uh, Canucks not only beat the Rangers 5 nothing, they also scored two power play goals against the Rangers, oh. uh, with John Tortorella's awful, awful power play skills, and uh, Alain Vigneault-Verrazano's uh, <laughs> power play vaunted doing nothing. Alan so, Verrazano. Yeah. There he is. The man, the myth, the legend. Alves. Um... <laughs> Or Ver, Vers, Vers, Alvers, Ver, Vez, Vera, Veras, yeah, whatever. We'll go with it. I guess would be the whatever name. you want to say is fine. Whatever his name is, uh, <laughs> didn't put it together. Now look, uh, Callahan's hurt, Haglin's hurt. Those are two top six forwards that you're going to need. But uh, a little underwhelming so far. A little concerning to start the year. Uh, yeah. They have nine road games because the Garden's still being remodeled, so they don't play until the end of next month. About a month from now is their next home game. Uh, they play nine games. I think do like a West Coast trip and all that. So that'll be interesting to see how they start. It'll um, be good to get a lot of that stuff out of the way, but at the same time, you want to set a tone. You don't want to fall too far behind the eight ball. You know, I think if you yeah. can get through the nine games, four and five, right, you can survive. But if you go and do like you know a little two and seven trip to start the year, not good. It's tough. It's tough to climb out of holes like that early on. But uh, you know, that's interesting. That's gonna be exciting. Obviously, this week. Uh, Three uh, did uh, I don't know? Did Texas and Tampa and everybody win today? Is there like two one game playoffs coming up? I think there might be. Did I think there might be. Today? We're gonna have to check to be sure because we don't want to give you guys misinformation. Mm-hmm. But we got a lot of craziness going on with the American League wild card. And um, let's check with Ducky, the producer. Ducky, <laughs> let's go to the videotape. Let's see. For us? Tampa so, won. Cleveland won seven six. Cleveland won five one. Right, and uh, Texas won six two. All right, so we, we have a one-game playoff to have a one-game playoff to play against the Red Sox in the first round. That so is correct. That'll be cool, right? So we that'll got be... Tampa at Texas tomorrow at 8 o'clock, and then I guess the next game would be Wednesday? Do they have the pitchers on there? They got pitchers. <laughs> Do they have words and pictures, like the talking pictures? Oh, it's tough. I don't know. I tried to click Wednesday the second, and it jumped me all the way back to last week, Wednesday. Oh, you can't go that far ahead because the games are not scheduled. So uh, it looks like it. we got Tampa Bay, Texas tomorrow night, and then Tuesday is the Cincinnati-Pittsburgh regularly scheduled one-game playoff. Uh, so Tampa and Texas will be David Price against uh, Perez. I don't know if I know who Perez is. Any any M. Perez? Oh, and that's, uh, wh- M? M. M. Perez? Perez? I don't follow the American League West very closely. Since the Yankees were out of it, I didn't really see I feel like we should both much. know who that is. Though. Yeah. That's strange. If he's starting the one-game playoff, I feel like he has to be, you know... Well, they used Darvish relevant. today. That's the to thing. Get, it's, yeah, it, you I know, guess. don't save a guy for a game that you might not have. Yeah. Martin kind of Perez. Situation. 
19 games, 119 innings, 10 and 5, 355 ERA. That's pretty good. Okay, yeah, That's not pretty bad. good stat line. Uh, a, through a complete game this year. Uh, you can go to war with worse. hits and 119 innings, so you know, he'll give up some hits and some runs, but. Uh, you know, I guess you, you do what you got, right? But uh, Tampa gets to throw out David Price, so that's, that's I think big advantage to Tampa, right? In uh, in this game, and then obviously they pl- they'll play uh, Cleveland. You know, whoever wins that game will play Cleveland. I guess they play Wednesday, right? Or would they play? Would they play Monday, or would they rather would they play Tuesday against the Cincinnati Pittsburgh game? I don't think that they would do that. I don't think baseball yeah, would schedule those two games. Yeah, I would say you spread it out as much as possible. But get as much action. These are all elimination games. We get we have yeah. three days in a row of elimination games. Which that's, is always great in baseball. That's Because I, I think a lot of people, the knock on it is that there is kind of this dragging, you know, lag mentality to the baseball playoffs. I, you know, if you love baseball, I don't think you feel that way. But, um, you know, with the long series and everything like that, I, I think you get a little bit of that. So you, you, you have uh, right off the jump... You know, three teams are going to be gone like right yeah. right away. So I think that's that's cool. That's and, some cool uh, stuff. Pittsburgh gets to host their first playoff game in five hundred years. I think five hundred and fifty so. years. Correct. That's pretty cool. Correct. That's pretty cool. They haven't had a you know playoff game since Barry Bonds wasn't on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> was playing yeah. Gold Glove Cowboy left field. Henry and- Rowan Gardner was starting for the Cubs. <laughs> back then. Big division rivalry. But uh, yeah, so we'll get more into the. Uh, Major League Baseball playoff yeah, pitcher we'll when we join you guys we'll next see. week. We'll talk a little bit. Obviously, it'll be kind of in the swing by then. But, um, you know, the Red Sox look good. Yeah, well, do they look <laughs> good? They're playing well. All right, let's right. That. All right, let's probably the best team, if you want to say that. But do they look good? No, they look terrible. They look like a bunch of weird goat <laughs> people with their long beards and, you know... Fair enough. Faces. Fair enough. Okay, so the the Red Sox might be the you know they might be the class of the of the AL this the year. Class. <laughs> class. Stop with the class. I'm doing it on purpose now. Yeah. Now I'm just product. Um, I, and then probably the the Dodgers. I would say yeah. are playing as well as anybody. So you know, I want to see Don Mattingly get his ring or see the Pirates win because they're the Pirates. But that's where I'm at. That's that's pretty good. I you know I, I always like to see a scrappy team like the A's do well. Sure. Or yeah. you know if the I know the they're in your division, but if the Rays kind of get through all the way, I'd yeah, like to see them kind of. I feel less dirty about that than Boston. <laughs> but it's in the division, I so it's tough. Feel it's tough. Yeah, yeah. I funny. hope the Braves get eliminated like almost immediately. Yeah. I would kind of say the same about the Cardinals. I can deal with anybody else in the National League kind of winning, yeah. even if it is the Dodgers. But um, like I said, we'll talk about that more next week. We when we get there. Yeah. We've chewed you guys' ears off enough. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, until next week, I'm John. I'm Tom. Uh, Ducky, anything anything to say? That's Ducky, our silent producer. Ducky Moranville, 1920s uh, baseball star. Uh, <laughs> sticking it out for us. Thanks, Ducky. That's it. All right. See you guys next week. Later. The New York 20s brought to you by Australians. They have funny accents, good food, and giant beers. Who doesn't like Australians? You know who doesn't? People with mullets.